Hi, I'm Layla. And I'm Marcus. And this is Passport Necessary, a podcast dedicated to growing up as a TCK and how it's affecting us now that we are adults. Uh, And today we have something very special lined up uh, for Mother's Day. Um, Marcus, are you excited? Yes, I am. It should be interesting. Absolutely. So what follows is going to be an interview, uh, and we hope that you enjoy. Yes, definitely. Heckenbach, say hello. Hi. <laughs> um, and so this is a special for Mother's Day. Uh, we were interested in learning more about our mothers, especially since they are mothers of multicultural kids. Uh, so let's get started. Um, where were you born and where did you grow up? Well, I was born in Louisiana and I grew there up um, for almost all my early adulthood, I left Louisiana for the first time uh, when I was a junior in high school. I did uh, a summer exchange program where I went to stay with a family in Lyon, France. Um, I was studying French at the time in high school and there was this opportunity to go and stay with a family, practice my French, learn about another culture. Um, It was really interesting because uh, frankly, as a somewhat adult with a family that had two very small children, uh, the two small children did not comprehend that I didn't speak fluent French, and they were the harshest critics um, when I had to have my daily conversations. But it was a real enlightening experience because it got me out of you know, my daily existence that I'd had uh, all through high school. And then I graduated and then went and did a year in France in a university in the south of France where um, I was supposed to be studying French, but mostly I was really learning the culture, right? Hanging out, meeting Mm -hmm. other people. And because it was a university environment, it too was multicultural. There were other international students, not just Americans, but Europeans and French, of course, Um, So that was probably the first long-term time that I spent outside of my home country. Mm -hmm. And did you, did you like leaving? Oh, it was exciting. It was just so exciting Mm -hmm. to be seeing something new and different. Um, I remember that the thing that surprised me the most was the length of the days. When I went to Lyon, it was a summer trip. And in France, the days are very, very long. Uh, far more so than in southwest Louisiana, where, in fact, you don't have a major difference between the summer and the winter hours, not like you do in northern Europe, right, where mm-hmm. it gets dark at 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night. That never seen that. And the other thing that I remember clearly was the smell of the air was very, very mm-hmm. different. I know that sounds odd, but in southwest Louisiana, we have a lot of humidity. We have all this greenery, you know, 
mold mm-hmm. and spores and flowers and stuff. <laughs> and and the air has like a smell, a unique kind of smell and feel to it uh, because of, of all of those different natural things that are going on in the environment. And uh, in, in Lyon, at least when I was there, it was completely different. And you could tell from the time you arrived, you know, it just didn't have the same kind of humidity and odor. It tasted, smelled, felt different. It was exciting. Mm-hmm. And did you grow up in a culture that was different than the one your parents grew up in? Or was your mother also from Louisiana? Or Yeah, well, I grew up with uh, mostly uh, members of the mo- my mother's side of my family because my mm-hmm. parents divorced when I was quite young. So I don't know the paternal side, but uh, all of my maternal side was originally from Louisiana. So yeah, everybody was there. Cousins, aunts, mm-hmm. uncles. And um, it was kind of like a closed environment. Uh, folks from Louisiana are not particularly mobile. Um, they tend to remain in place. And uh, even today, most of my family lives within 30 minutes of each other, I think. Mm-hmm. So it's very deeply rooted. Oh, yes. Very deeply rooted. <laughs> um, and so were you always interested in traveling um, or learning about other cultures? Or was that something that after you had done your first trip in, uh, I think you said junior year of high school, was that when it started for you? Um, I guess I was always interested in foreign languages. And I guess with foreign languages comes the concept of travel, right? When I was growing up, we had a Vietnamese uh, family that lived right next door to us. We had up the street a uh, Cuban family. Um, further down the road, we had some other immigrant families. And all of these different languages were kind of part of the background of uh, my growing up. And I was always curious about, you know, what all that meant. And then um, in my own home life, my great-grandmother often would speak French so that I couldn't hear what she was saying. And I think it was one of the reasons why I decided that I wanted to speak French, because I wanted to understand the conversations that my great-grandmother was having with my grandmother, Um, Mm -hmm. because she had grown up Francophone. She'd grown up speaking French and had learned English later in life. Uh, so for me, the doorway into the outdoors beyond was in part my maybe intellectual curios- curiosity on, on languages themselves. Mm-hmm. And you've, you've just always had that like natural interest in learning languages because Guillaume, who's my brother, he's also been very similar to that where he just suddenly wants to learn a language. I mean, he learned Russian by himself. Yep. He, learn German by himself just because he wanted to. Right. I think uh, I once counted, I think I've done like 10 languages over time. And all of that was just pure curiosity. I I did French, Spanish, Latin, um, Russian, modern Greek, Turkish. And then later in life, for other reasons, I also did Japanese and Korean. And when I add them all up, in either formally or informally, I've probably studied, yeah, about 10 languages. It's just kind of the, that part of my brain, I guess, maybe likes that. Mm-hmm. It's, it's the math part of my brain, maybe. You find it very satisfying to, like, figure out how the language works. Yeah, I do. Mm-hmm. So... 
with that, because I, I know that language is its own thing, but you s- seem to be the most comfortable in, at least from my understanding of growing up with you, French and English were the ones that you were most comfortable in. Was it because understanding the culture helped? Um, because language is very much entrenched within the culture and you grew up speaking American English and then you learned over time Frank- French um but you also lived in France for a little bit. So did living in those countries kind of help you really get a grasp of the languages? Oh, yeah. I don't think you can separate the two. Um, I spoke, I'd studied Spanish for years uh, at undergraduate and graduate levels, but it was only when I was living in a, you know, a country where I spoke Spanish on a daily basis that it really started clicking for me. And the same thing with Korean and Japanese, right? Um, Mm-hmm. And I think it's even more intrinsic when the culture and the language are so different. So like, you know, Spanish, French, they're both Romance languages. There's a European common history. There's, you know, certain stuff that's just kind of like within the package of things that we feel comfortable with. But then when you go mm-hmm. into languages that are very different, like Turkish or Korean or Japanese, um, the words don't mean anything if you don't have some sort of connective tissue to the culture because mm-hmm. it emanates from it and interacts with it. Mm-hmm. No, that's interesting. Um, so what's, and this is kind of turning into something a little bit different, but uh, what's one country that you still want to visit? You, we've been able to visit quite a few countries. You mean a um, place that I haven't been yet? Yes, a place that you haven't been yet that you still want to visit. Ooh. I know the world is very big. That's a (laughs) tough one. Um, uh, I mean, at this point in my life, I've actually traveled a fair amount, right? I've been in Australia. Mm -hmm. I've been in Asia. I've been in Africa, Europe, South America, North America. I have not gone to what we would call, you know, South Central Asia, you know, like Mm -hmm. India. I think India would be a really interesting place to visit. Of course, not right now with uh, the Mm -hmm. current COVID crisis that they're having, but, but it's an old culture, a very deep, rich culture. I I think that would be a fascinating place to go and spend a little bit of time. And of course, Mm -hmm. another place that I've always wanted to go is Vietnam, but I haven't made it yet. I know we've been talking about going to Vietnam. I remember us talking about going to Vietnam since I was very little. Mm-mm. Yeah, that little tiny part, uh, tiny if you wish, that part of Asia I think is very, very interesting. And mm-hmm. you know, we've been to Indonesia and we found that fascinating. Um, we've been to... Oh, the Philippines. The Philippines as well. But I think that there would be, there would be some new experiences to have if we were to go to places like, you know, Vietnam or India that we haven't been yet before. Mm-hmm. No, I agree. I think it would be really cool. Um, now, out of all the places that you have been to that you visited or lived in, um, what was a place where you would want to settle down and why? And the caveat is, in this uh, fictional scenario, money is not a problem. So, okay, so wherever then, you would want to be. <laughs> I will posit my own caveat 
uh, it will be the place that I create out of all the fabulous parts of different places I've been. <laughs> um, my ideal place would be a place where you would have flowers most of the year, mm-hmm. uh, not massive temperature shifts. So you had kind of like a constant temperature. Uh, you would have beach water. You would have outdoor space to to live in, um, kind of like a central patio space where your house can kind of be open to nature and yet still protect you, uh, mm-hmm. where you would have friendly people, food that doesn't require disinfection for hours before you eat it or cook it, <laughs> water that you can drink that won't give you amoebas, and um, and and animals that are well treated, and by that I mean you know when you're out and about you see you know cats and dogs in the street who look healthy and aren't abused, maybe even horses from time to time. That's kind of fun, horses. You love seeing horses. Anytime we used to go on family trips, I always remember. Like, we wouldn't necessarily point out any other animals, but if you saw a horse, you got so excited. I love horses. I think they're awesome. Of course, cats are my absolute favorite because, you know, putting mm-hmm. a horse in your house, forget it. But um, <laughs> if you had, you know, if you had an ideal environment where you could create, you know, the the kind of ambience that you want to be in where you could have, like, outdoor meals, um, you know, have friends and family over, have your, you know domestic animals kind of hanging out with you, nobody feeling confined. Um, I don't know if there's that one ideal place because what I've Mm -hmm. described is actually little parts of different places that I've been that I was like, oh, I want that, that one thing. Oh, I like this little part here. Oh, this would be great if I could have this too. You know, who knows? Maybe I'll buy an island one day and just create my own my own country that does what I want, but I, I'm not queen yet, so I guess that won't happen. Yet, she says yet. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I know this is this is always a hard question for people who travel a lot because home the the meaning of home kind of changes and shifts as you go to different countries. But um, what is something you miss a lot when you aren't in your home country and by that like the country that you grew up in um what is something that you miss a lot when you're outside of your home country that's a good question um probably what I miss the most at this point in time is um my family that is still living back there uh I try to stay in touch with them uh the new new technology tools today are awesome you know you can talk in real time and see people, quote unquote, you know, virtually. Um, That wasn't how it was 10, 15, 20 years ago. So I think that kind of, that component of homesickness is no longer as acute. You know, in the early days of living overseas 20 something years ago, connectivity was really challenging. You know, to make a phone call was, oh my goodness, it was such a big deal. Um, mm-hmm. and now we can connect so much easier. Of course, we also have email, which wasn't, wasn't around either. Um, you know, I still remember the, the thin pieces of paper that you folded up and made into an envelope that you could mail and, you know, it got there when it got there. Um, so communications 
have definitely changed. So I think mm-hmm. part of what is the fundamental component of homesickness, which is the connecting to people, has been attenuated with some of the virtual tools that we have now. Um, but then, you know, there's the physical presence stuff. I think what I miss most probably are a couple of the components of life there. Um, the food. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a unique culture in southwest Louisiana that has its own kind of food that I've been able to reproduce over time in different places with lots of substitutions, but it's never quite the same, right? Mm -hmm. And then the other thing that I probably really miss the most is the social aspect of all of the outdoor festivals. Mm -hmm. You know, there is a festival for everything, a festival for rice, a festival for crawfish, a festival for sugarcane, a festival for frog legs. I mean, you name it, there's a (laughs) festival. And it's, it's basically an excuse for people to get together mm-hmm. and, and, you know, dance and, and listen to music and eat outside and just kind of chill. And having that kind of experience, um, you don't find that everywhere you go, right? And mm-hmm. there's a regularity to it in Louisiana. If you go online and you look up, you know, festivals in Louisiana, there's virtually something almost all the time, except in the hottest of the hot months where it's just miserable. Um, But. (laughs) Oh, it's so bad. I know. I always, I always was not like unhappy, but whenever it was like, okay, we're going back to Louisiana for the summer. July. Yay. August. Yay. But I mean, the big festivals, uh, the ones that are best known, like the jazz festival in New Orleans, um, the Festival Acadien, the Festival um, de Musique Internationale à Lafayette, all of those, you know, they they kind of represent that kind of culture um, where it may not be super sophisticated, but but music, dance, that's important, right? And and mm-hmm. having venues where people can get together, and it's not. Um, how can I put it? It's not a snobby culture per se, because it's accessible. You just walk, mm-hmm. you walk into it. You know, it's in a park. It's open, uh, except for the jazz festival. The jazz festival does have tickets. Um, but those kinds of outdoor experiences, I, I don't know if anywhere else in the United States has quite as many. I'm sure there are some places that have them. But it's the the frequency and the regularity of those kinds of popular cultural events where people can get together and, you know, hang out. That that I do believe is something that I miss. Yeah. Yeah. It's a very I mean, that's the thing that I always remember from Louisiana and I, I don't have a lot of memories of it because I was there when I was so young and I remember it most when we would always go back and visit but the thing I always remembered was how warm people were Mm -hmm. even if you were a total stranger like in Louisiana people are more than happy to help you out they're always friendly to you there's this sense of community even if you are an outsider which I think is unusual because Louisiana feels like such a tight-knit group and like you said 
most people in Louisiana aren't mobile. They don't really leave. Right. So the fact that you can be an outsider that comes into that kind of space, usually there's a sense of like, oh, you're an outsider. We don't want you here. Yeah, no, but that's it, different fact, from some other places welcoming. that we've been where, you know, they had a very, very strong culture, but it was very homogenous, right? You know where I'm mm-hmm. talking about. I'm not mentioning it yes. directly, but but you would never be inside ever Mm-mm. in that culture. But I think part of it comes from the fact that, you know, Louisiana is a Creole culture in the proper sense of the word. It it was made up of waves of immigrants that came over time. There were the French, there were the Spanish, there were the Haitians when they had the revolution in Haiti. Then you had a wave of Germans, then you had a wave of Irish, then you had, um, in my lifetime, Vietnamese. So it's a very gumbo culture, right? And mm-hmm. it's and it's not just New Orleans, the proper the the port city, which tends you know, port cities tend to be more of a kind of melting pot anyway. But but even when you get out into the countryside, quote unquote, of southwest Louisiana, which you would say is, well, primarily um, you know, uh Francophone, no, actually not, because they also had uh, Indian tribes there well before any of the explorers came. And there are still some of those settlements even today. And all of those communities, including, you know, all of the, all of the slave communities that were imported and, you know, wound up after emancipation settling in that area, when you go back and you look at the demographics, I mean, it's just amazing, the variety, all of that. That doesn't mean there aren't tensions, um, but there are certain elements I think that keep the community together. In that there's there's um, there's a sense of place, mm-hmm. right? There's a deep a deep rooted history with the the place that they are living in. Yeah, and you know the reality is it's very much Creole in that many of those communities intermingled, right? So mm-hmm. there, there weren't, there weren't these artificial barriers that were established to separate the different communities. The, for example, when the German wave came in, they learned French. They mm-hmm. didn't stay. They didn't say uh, Germanophone for very long. Whereas in other parts of the United States, where you had big influxes of German communities, they remained German speaking for a very long time, and people just kind of like got into the flow, right? And mm-hmm. so you wind up having a very unique mix of cultures and languages and attitudes. And of course, today uh, in modern Louisiana, especially in the South, primarily New Orleans, but not just, you know, there's also the new Hispanic communities. Uh, when I say new, note that I said when I was a small child, we already had a Cuban family living next to us. So it's actually not all that new, but it's mm-hmm. different types of Hispanic communities that have also moved in. To me, that all adds to the richness of it. Yeah, it's not It's not a, a homogenous community. It's actually quite eclectic and varied. And there's a little bit of everything that is part of Louisiana, South Louisiana culture, mind you, we don't know too much about North Louisiana. They're kind of a little bit different. Yeah, it's a little bit different. But I mean, you know, it's not for nothing that, you know, there's Creole cooking, there's jazz, there's, um, you know, a wide variety of art and music and culture traditions 
because all of all of the folks that brought their own things added to that instead of making mm-hmm. it diminutive i think it was additive mm-hmm. no and i think that's awesome um kind of switching tracks a little bit but um what has been the hardest thing for you when adjusting into a new cult country um, jet lag and oh jet <laughs> <laughs> that's it jet lag well, I guess, like, when you first started moving around, I mean, you had traveled already a little bit as a younger woman, but when you started traveling more, um, was it, did you find it really easy when you moved to a new place, or was there something that you found difficult when you started off that now you don't find as hard? No, no, seriously. I mean, it's the it's the small things. It's jet lag, and it's the logistics of packing and unpacking. Those are my two Mm -hmm. most painful experiences. Because once I'm on the ground, um, you know, I just adapt. But I think, I think a lot of that has to do with, with where you're coming from, right? If you Mm -hmm. come in saying, I'm not expecting this to be the same as place X, Y, or Z, I'm open, it'll be a little bit different. Let's see what happens. Mm-hmm. Um, then, then the adventure's there, right? But if right. you walk in with like rigid expectations of what's what's right, what's wrong, what's going to work for you, what's not going to work for you, then you're bound to be disappointed because it's not going to be the same. No matter where you are, each place is going to have its own its own thing happening that you like or don't like. You know, you you might not like some of it, but but you still have to kind of adapt if you're going to remain in place for any period of time. I mean, it's not the same as when you travel. When you travel for, for pleasure, you're gone a week, two weeks, you've got an end time. It's a defined objective. Go and, you know, do X activity or, you know, chill on X beach or whatever it is, the objective of the, the vacation. But for what I do, it's going to be for a period of time, two, three years. Um, so it feels more open-ended. And um, you have to walk in saying, let's see what happens. Mm-hmm. And at the end, you can say, well, I liked X, Y, and Z, and I really hated you know, A, B, and C. But, but you experience the full thing. I, I think probably for me, the biggest challenge is that I am um, – I am geographically challenged in the sense that I have no no way of getting directions. So everywhere I go, it takes me forever to figure out how to get from point A to point B. Be it on this is like the biggest thing in our family. Is <laughs> I mean, I still get lost. You know, it's like I factor in lost time. There's this thing I do. They say, okay, it's going to take you 20 minutes to get there. And then my mental calculation is, okay, I'll leave an hour ahead because I'm going to get lost. <laughs> But the advantage of that, let me say, is that I see things that no one else sees because I get lost. You know, I don't take the most direct way of getting places because I Cause you usually don't know take it. left instead of right and then have to make, you know, P-turns and wind and, and thank God for these new um, mapping apps because before it was really challenging. I'd like to have to stop and ask people and then they were like, you know, point and we had like maps and... Um, but yeah, I mean, maybe that's what adds to my enjoyment of space is that I, 
am willing to get off the beaten path. You know, if I have to get from point A to point B in 15 minutes, I give myself an hour and I see X, Y, and Z in the meantime. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was, I was going to say, I have a very vivid memory of you and I in Guatemala and we were trying to get to a party, I vaguely remember, and you were driving, and I remember we got to an intersection, and you said, oh, I don't know if I have to turn left or right. <laughs> I was like, I'm pretty sure you have to turn left. And, and of course said, I turned right, turn right? Right. Of yes. course. And then we we got lost of for, course. not joking, a half hour. Uh-huh. And eventually, we found ourselves back to that same intersection. Right. And you said exactly in the same way you were like I don't remember do I turn and I stopped you immediately I was like you turn left I like screamed at you and you were like okay so you turned left and we were at the house we were trying to get to in five minutes I know I was like but you see I see so much more than anyone else because I admit that I can get lost and that's okay (laughs) I've learned to I learned to love that yeah, I have many skills, as I as I tell my spouse, who has a bird bone and never gets lost, even when he's going places he's never been before, which boggles my mind. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I see things that you wouldn't see otherwise, because I'm willing to get lost. Right. <laughs> um, so, I, I'm actually really interested in, you know, what it's been like bringing up a family in a country that is foreign to you and in fact in many countries that are foreign to you um and because you're not raising us in the you didn't raise us in the culture that you grew up in so we were we were still getting some stuff from home that was from your culture and from dad's culture but we inherently were being raised in a culture that wasn't our own and so I'm just curious as to you know what it was like for you well, I don't know. It's more like a question for you, dear. What was it like for you? Because I wasn't being raised in that culture. No, let me go back and say, you know, I have a fundamental belief that home is where the heart is. I know that sounds really cliche, but, you know, as a mother raising children, for me, the most important thing was that I instilled in the two of you the values that I thought were important, right? And the lessons that I thought you needed for life. And to give you the skill sets that you needed to be successful when you left the nest. That was my job. I always saw my job as making sure that I was constructing future functional adults, right? And and you probably remember, I never baby talked you guys. I mean, I always spoke in complete sentences. And everybody would look at me because I never spoke baby talk to you guys. But to me, you know, why dumb it down? You, you guys were both of you totally capable of understanding full sentences, and I used them. Um, but raising you in different cultures was also an opportunity to have all of these elements that I talked about earlier, like where would be the perfect place I live? Um, not just the physical elements of, you know, do you have a space for your cats or do you have, you know, an outdoor space for eating meals? But but also all of these little cultural things that just are appealing, right? And you get to pick and choose. It's, it's in a way, it's, um, it's even better than when you're in one place. Because as you go through time, you go, oh, that, I really like that thing. That thing is, is a good thing to do. Or I like that thought. 
or I like that custom. And, and it allows you to construct a reality, if you wish, that's a little more inclusive than when you than when you only see one vista, right? Right. And so for me as a mom, that was really, I think, what I saw. Like when we would go somewhere, like say go to a temple, you got to take your shoes off um, to show respect. It doesn't matter that you don't necessarily adhere to that specific religion, but learning how to respect that others have that practice and that it's as simple as taking your shoes off when you walk over that sill. You don't have to believe in it, but it shows the respect to others. Those kinds of small things, I think, for me as a mom, gave to you as children a wider appreciation of others. Mm -hmm. But then I can turn it back to you and say, how is it for you? I honestly can't imagine being raised any other way. Um I, I've heard, you know, being raised in, in one location, I had many friends in college and even now who like, they grew up in the same town, they have friends from when they were really little and they remember like, um, all their neighbors, they all went to the same school and that just, not that it seems bad, it just seems alien to me. Right. I think, I, like I just, it's very hard for me to imagine that for myself because mm-hmm. honestly, I really liked moving and growing up in different cultures and learning about different cultures and trying to understand other people. I think for me, that was the most interesting. And I've always been a storyteller. I've always been a person who's been fascinated by stories, whether it be fairy tales, myths, and then later on theater, which itself is just storytelling. Mm -hmm. I think for me, I was always fascinated by how story is told in different cultures because the way a story is told in Guatemala is very different than the way a story is told in Japan because the values are different. Mm -hmm. And I always found that so interesting. And so there was always this element of what's going on here. I want to learn what's happening. And Mm -hmm. so being in different cultures meant that I always felt like that, that need to learn and that need to explore was always being satisfied. Mm -hmm. And I think one thing that I, I definitely appreciate um, with being, with having that, you know, multicultural growing up is also that you encouraged it. There was never the sense of, um, no, well, not that, or, or everything but this. There was always this element of, if you feel ready to learn it, go and learn it. Like, not that you would say, oh, anything is fair game, but there no, were certain there things were limits. Censor. There, yeah, were, there limits. were limits. Yeah. <laughs> there were definitely limits, but there was always the sense of, I want you to learn it. I definitely want you to grow and explore and figure things out on your own. And if you need my help, I'm here for you. And I really appreciated that because even now as an adult, I feel like I'm very much, that's how I learn is I like learning on my own and figuring things out. But if I need help, having someone there who I can reach out to and say like, hey, I just, I don't understand this. Right. And having someone go, oh, you know what? We'll work on it together. And that for me, I've always found very helpful um because you know there were there were always a lot of questions um there was always things that I I didn't understand and instead of being treated like well you should know 
or how do you not know this? It was always, well, it's a learning process. Let's figure it out. If I don't know the answer, we'll find someone who does. And I, I always appreciated that. I always found that prepared me very well for when I became an adult because I, I think there's an illusion as you're growing up as a kid that adults know everything. Mm-hmm. And I feel like and we don't. I know, and, <laughs> and honestly, this sounds awful, but I feel like I learned that really early, whereas yeah. I feel like a lot of kids, they go into like even their teenage years thinking, oh, well, adults know everything. I feel like I learned really early, adults don't know everything, but adults know who to go to for answers. Right. And yeah. I think that and I think a lot. the other thing to build on that is probably, you know, because we had these varied experiences in different places. Um, you know, not all of it did we necessarily feel comfortable with or say we should adopt this or, or say, you know, we want to do this, but being able to sit back and say, okay, what's, what's with this practice and why is this practice uncomfortable and, you know, what components of it are bothersome because, you know, not, not every element of every culture is agreeable, right? There's, Mm -hmm. there's, um, there's a wide range of practices out there that frankly, I'm like, no, I'm not going to do that. But I think being able to sit back and say, you know, what does this mean? And why is it there? Makes you be able to interact with it positively instead of just shutting it down and shutting it out. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, so we actually kind of, you actually answered one of my questions already. So we're actually kind of at the last question. Um, do you find that the idea of motherhood varies from culture to culture? And do you find that your idea of motherhood has shifted over time because of interacting with all these different cultures? Well, I mean, despite what, would appear to be an extreme flexibility on my part. I would have to say that I've always pretty much had a very solid idea of what I wanted to do as a mother, um, how I wanted to have my kids experience and grow up. And I did my utmost to kind of shape that environment so that that could happen. Um, The idea of motherhood... Tell me what you mean by that, because I mean, anywhere in the world, you get pregnant, you have a baby, and then you got the baby in the arms, you feed it, you change it. Um, but beyond that, what what do you mean? Well, I think motherhood isn't always the same in every culture. I think in some places, motherhood is seen as as a job, mm. as like that's that is your job. You are a mother. Mm-hmm. Whereas I think in some other cultures, motherhood is seen as more a piece of your identity. It is a part of who you are, but it doesn't become the entirety of you. So I guess I'm just curious as to like, from like the idea of motherhood has that shifted the idea of it over time. Like when you were a kid, did motherhood seem like, oh, this is a job or this is your identity um, and then change over time? Well, I mean, I always worked, uh, even when you guys were really small. So for me, it was always a balancing act, right? Mm -hmm. It wasn't the only thing I did. It was 
one of the variety of things that I did. It was my principal focus in many ways, but I also had work and studies and, you know, other things going on. I think people who, I mean, this is my own personal opinion and it has nothing to do about the idea of motherhood varying from culture to culture, but I think from my own personal opinion, you know, if, if all you do is one thing, you're not well-rounded and that applies to motherhood as well. You know, if all you do is work and nothing else, then you're not well-rounded. If all you do is focus on your children, well, that's a short-term project in a human life. In 15, 20 years, there are people and they're out of the nest. And what do you do with the rest of your life? I mean, I think you have to have a variety of things in your life that you are interested in and that you work in. Yeah, it's your primary project when you're a parent is focusing on your children. But if it's the only thing you're doing, then you're doing a disservice to yourself as an individual because at some point that project ends and then you have to rebuild your own life. I mean, the, the whole emptiness syndrome thing is not for naught. Uh, lots of people, that's all they do is focus on their kids. And then one day the kids are off at college, they're getting married, they're having their own kids. And then what? Right? I mean, I, it, it's a whole, it's a whole issue of balance, but you could say the same thing about work. If, you know, people who focus, you know, intensely on work, that's all they do, work striven, focusing, well, you know, one day the man's going to fire you or you're going to retire or, you know, especially in the modern world where jobs change and shift quickly, as we've seen in COVID, lots of people found themselves without work. You know, if that's your anchor in life, um, it's tenuous, right? So mm -hmm. you have to have more than that. You have to have more than just that one thing. So, I mean, in the end, being a mother is part of a life project uh, of a woman, right? If you choose to have children, it's one of the things you're going to do in your lifetime. Uh, how much time and energy you focus on it, how much, uh, how much thought you give to it will vary. Um, of course, motherhood has changed over time. You know, we no longer have 10 kids because we lose five of them before the age of 10 to childhood diseases. Uh, we only have a few children. And so we have the bandwidth to focus more on those fewer children than when you had, you know, large broods that you had to kind of like manage loosely because you didn't know who was going to die tomorrow from having something happen to them. I mean, things right. have, life has changed, right? In the last hundred years, um, childhood has changed. I think motherhood has changed work has changed. Um, in the end, you know, as I get older, I realize, you know, change, change is the one common factor. The one stability is change. Um, mm -hmm. the speed of change, however, I think has, uh, been a factor that's made things more difficult for folks because things used to change more slowly. Mm -hmm. Um, but change is the constant, right? Yeah. If we're not changing, we're not developing, we're really not growing as people or as a society. Yeah, but change is scary. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I don't think anyone can deny that. I think there's there's positive in change, there's negative in change, but I think things changing, no matter what, there's a little bit of a fear because it's not it's not what you already know. It's it it is change. It's something new. So right. that in itself is inherently a little a little trepidatious. Yeah. I guess that's what makes it exciting. Yeah. 
That's very true. Um, well, thank you so much for doing this, Mom. <laughs> You're welcome. This has been really fun. Did we um, hit all of the points that you wanted? Absolutely. Absolutely.